If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn uh, to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, we will be starting on the uh, 13th, uh, around the 13th verse here. Last week, we did a state of the church message. Uh, we do this every year. It is uh, when everybody tries to come back, we just let you know how we did last year and where we're going this year. And in the state of the church message, we spent most of our time talking about what has happened, not just last year, but the last five years as we celebrated the, conc- the conclusion of a vision that was set before our church five years ago called Touch the World 2015. And we celebrated the fact that we did a number of evangelistic uh, ministries and compassionate justice ministries in 17 states and 63 countries around the world. And so it was a great time of celebration. But it was also a time of continuation as we continue this campaign of what we call the Chapters Campaign. It was a three-year campaign to where we were raising funds to do facility improvements over here and at the same time to completely eliminate our debt. And then we identified about 10 mission partners that we did special mission advancement projects. And so we're two-thirds of the way through that. And this is our last year and it's to finish that up. And so we, we brought out some of the great victories that had already been won in that. And then there was, at the end, there was preparation. And that was to get us ready for what God has for us in 2017. And what it meant by that is that 2016 is a year where we prepare our hearts and we are prepared for whatever it is that God has for us for this next great chapter in the life of this church. And so uh, in preparation of this, back in August, uh, we began a, um, a partnership with a consulting company called Oxano to help us to just take a fresher look at everything that's going on in our church and to get a better understanding of where we think that God is leading us. This company does not bring vision in a box. They aren't going to tell us what we're going to do, but they help lead us to ask the questions and to do the research and to dig deep and to say, what do you think it is that God is leading you. And so we've taken a number of our ministerial staff that have met with them every month. And then we take these and we meet with our deacons and share with them and get their input. And last Wednesday, we met with a couple of hundred Sunday school leaders and shared and got their input. We took a survey back in November and over 1,700 responses came. So there's a lot of input that goes into this. And, and as you go through this whole process, you are to develop what is called a kingdom concept. And you, you take that by looking, first of all, at your local predicament. And that is, where are we and the people that we serve, this whole community that we serve in? What is that local predicament? Uh, what are they like? Uh, what are the challenges? All these different things in our predicament. Then, then we look at like our collective potential, our resources that we have here in our church. And, um, and what are the things that we have here that we bring to the table? And then last of all is something called the apostolic esprit. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds exciting. <laughs> but apostolic esprit, what apostolic esprit means is what energizes you? What is it that this congregation does really, really well? What is it that turns our crank, that really gets us excited? And you put all of those together. And then when you put that together, you get a pretty good feel for where you are and really what you have to bring to the table. And then you drive it on down, and our goal is to come up with a mission statement that is easy to remember, that that best capsulizes what we do. What is it that we do at Shades Mountain Baptist Church? And so uh, we developed a mission statement and shared this with our deacon, shared it with our leadership. I want to share it with you today in the message. And how I want to do is I'm going to share this mission statement with you at the start, Then we're going to take a look in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and give you some ideas of a vision that Paul had. And then as we come to the close of that passage, I'm going to take you back to this mission statement for some closing words to see all this ties together. I've entitled the message next chapter, which means that we're getting ready to turn the page to the next chapter. We are still early in the stages of seeing exactly what the strategy and the plans for what God has for our church But I'm letting you as a church kind of get on the same page that we're on as we're walking through this process. 
And so it starts with, um, uh, with this uh, statement. And our mission statement uh, is sending, does it come up over here? Yeah. Sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. Sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. And so in nine words, we can capsulize what we do as a church. We send transformed people to influence their world for Christ. We're going to talk a little bit more about this. But as we were going through this process, I was to lead a devotion on aspects of this. And I got drawn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And let us take a look at this passage. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Starting in the 13th verse, what Paul is doing here, he's writing a letter to a church in Corinth. It's a church that that he helped find. He planted this church and he's writing a letter to them. There's 1 Corinthians and then they believe there was another letter that we don't have in scripture. And then there was 2 Corinthians. It's the second letter to where he's answering a number of questions. But one of the things he's doing is defending his ministry Other groups have come in and they've tried to talk bad about Paul and stuff. And so Paul is defending his ministry. And as he defends it, he articulates really his vision and his ministry and how they are a part of this. So follow with me. Verse 13. He says, but we will not boast beyond limits, but we boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. In fact, we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. Now, put a map in your, in your head over here. If you take uh, right over here and you see where everyone, the, the center was Antioch is where they were sending missionaries from. And so if you're looking at Antioch over here and you've got Turkey and you've got Greece, The gospel began to go, and Paul wanted to go east, but he got a vision from God that says, I want you to go west. So he began to go west, and he covered modern-day Turkey, and then he caught Greece, and he went all the way down, and he got to Corinth. And he's writing a letter to the people in Corinth, and this is the westernmost movement of the gospel at this time. He said, we came all the way over to you. And then verse 15 We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. We're not going to talk about what everybody else has done. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who's approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Now, let me just tell you, you take this passage and there are about four things that jump out at you. First of all, there's the vision. There is the vision. And the vision is that he said is to go where no one else has gone. In verse 16, he says, we want to go where no one else has gone before. And he reiterates this a little later when he writes a letter to the Romans. And look what he says there in Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 20 through 21. This is what he says. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see and those who have never heard will understand. This is what drove him. He says, I want to go where no one else has been. I want to go where no one has heard the gospel. That's his ambition. And when you go a little bit further in Romans, his desire is to get to Rome and then his desire is to go further all the way to Spain. He says, I want to keep this westward movement of the gospel. And I want to go where no one else has gone before. So what does that mean to us when you look at something like this and you go and you say, If the vision is to go where no one's gone before, what would that mean? Well, one thing it would mean is is globally. Globally, whatever we come up with, the next big chapter in the life of this church, it will continue to be going overseas. It will continue to go around the United States and go around the world. We're going to continue that. But it does mean that we need to step up our efforts in trying to reach unengaged, unreached people. 
Out of all the people groups in all the world, the latest statistics we have is there is 1,452 people groups that are unengaged and unreached. It means they've never heard the gospel. They've never seen the scripture. They don't know Jesus. They don't know anything about him. And they are lost. And we need, as believers, to reach those. We're making progress in our convention. But we as a church, as we look to this next great step for our church, we need to get serious and kick that into another, another gear. But also, that means locally. We took that survey, and uh, throughout these next weeks and months, I'll give you bits and pieces of the responses of your survey, and you really did a great job. We thank you, thank you for that. And there was a question where you could write in and put your own statement in there. And uh, when asked kind of what would you want the next thing our church to do, the number one answer was to do something locally that we needed to, to increase what we do in our community, how we can impact and reach our community. And some of the things that were mentioned was to revitalize a local church. And we're seeing this begin to happen in Southern Baptist churches where you take a strong church such as ours and there's some other churches that are established. Uh, they've got their building, they've got their tradition, they've got their history. But because of whether it's been a shift in demographics or a failure of leadership, some of those churches are going down and they're hurting. And rather than close those doors, what if a church came in such as ours and infused new strength into it? Maybe asking some of you as members to say, would you go over there and take leadership positions and let's go in there and let's build that body back up for Christ. And there's a lot of interest in doing something like that. And so when it says to go where no man's gone before, that means that we could go and do things that maybe have never been done before in one of those churches. And to be able to revitalize that. Look for ways here in our community over the mountain that we can minister here. When we say go where we've never gone before, part of that also is that we are walking in waters in our country and in our culture that is different than it's ever been in the 230 plus years in the history of our country. Our culture is changing so fast. And it is such a challenge for our children and for young adults as they continue to grow uh, in the Lord and try to have an impact in this culture. I mean, this is things are changing so fast. And so when you think about going where no man's gone before, we have preschoolers right now in, uh, in our Sunday school and babies in our nursery. The question is, how do we train them so they're prepared five years from now, 10 years from now to deal with this ever-changing culture? Because you see, maybe the things that we've done in the past will not work because our culture is changing so much. Maybe there are things we could assume in the past, but we can't assume that as we move to more of a post-Christian culture here in the United States. We got to be wide open to this because we are definitely going where we've never been before. You see, Paul's vision, it was aggressive, it was dynamic, and it was a forward-moving vision. And what is interesting is that all of this, when he gives this vision, oftentimes when somebody gives a powerful, strong vision, you say, well, that's because everything's going great for you and you're ready to hit after it. Listen, if you go to chapter one of 2 Corinthians, turn back just a few pages. This is Paul's life. This is what he's going through. In verse eight of chapter one, he says this, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. And on him, we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. He said, the affliction that we have had... Uh, all of the persecution we've had, we were close to death. And see, some of us in our most honest moments would say, if that hit us, we just back off and say, I'm done. It's time to take a back seat. He says, in the midst of his affliction, he's got this progressive, aggressive, dynamic, forward moving vision. And we're a church that's operating out of a great strength. And so when we move towards 2017 and beyond, it needs to be an aggressive, God-sized, moving forward vision. It doesn't matter what the President of the United States says. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court rules. And it doesn't matter what ISIS threatens. We will stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ and will not back down. And we need to be that as a church. And we need to move forward with that. 
Because you see, what the world is saying is some mamby-pamby Christianity as we back away and we don't need to be that way. We've got God's word. We need to stand on God's word. And as we move forward, have an aggressive vision. Because the apostle Paul himself, who says, whether I live or whether I die, I'm moving forward because I am not ashamed of the gospel. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who hears and to everyone who believes. That was his vision. And that was pretty powerful. But in the midst of the vision, there was an obstacle. And here was his obstacle, and he brought it out in verse 15. And the obstacle is being held back because of the weakness of their faith. Being held back because of the weakness of their faith. He says in verse 15, in verse 15, he says, But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. As your faith increases then our area of influence can be enlarged. You see, God had brought him all the way to Corinth and that was a milestone, not the finishing line. And now he's got some views to get out on the horizon and go even further. And he says, as the faith of the Corinthians grows, he will become free to go to more distant lands. It was the weakness of their faith that was preventing Paul and others from expanding their influence to other lands. that's, That's quite a statement. You know, we would love to move forward, but we can't because of the weakness of your faith. You say, well, what does it mean by weakness of a faith? Well, let me just give you two things that can happen in a church that would cause a weakness of faith and would slow down an evangelistic movement. And it was happening there in Corinth. Number one is internal bickering. Internal bickering. Would that ever happen at a church? No, no. Internal bickering. Did it ever happen there? Yeah, look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. He says, I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not yet ready. Why? For you are still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? That church is going through all kinds of problems. And as people were bickering and complaining and people uh, were having all these kind of strife and jealousy, the apostle Paul and the others had to put all their energies into putting out fires and could not continue to do the work of an evangelist. And so it was affecting everyone. It was affecting the church themselves from doing their work. It was affecting kind of like Paul as the pastor and the staff, if you want to put it that way, from doing their work. The whole church was sort of locked up. Because of this internal bickering. But the second part of weakness of faith is an inward focus. Is an inward focus. And an inward focus is when you come to a church and you sit here and you sit in the church and everything is about you. I want to make sure I'm back in my pew. I get my parking place. I'm in my Sunday school class. We never change our room. We never change the people in our class. And all of a sudden you become this inward focus. And when you become that inward focus, you no longer become an aggressive, dynamic church. You become a religious country club. And it's just a club to where when other people come and visit the church, they don't know if they can be a part of that club or not because that inward focus. And and believe it or not, that's going to be one of the challenges of our church. We had some incredible good news in the survey. The survey showed that 86% of our people were connected to a small group. 86%, that's incredible. But then on the flip side of that, We were picking up from different comments and things that because we were so good in getting in our groups, sometimes we enjoyed being so tight in our fellowship with our group that we didn't let other people come in. And so when people would visit the church, they never quite got into our group. It's okay for you to sit on my pew, but hey, when you get in my science school class, eh, I've got my little group here. And so what is a positive for us can be a negative. And it'll take that adjustment to say we've got to open up open ourselves up, have more of an outward focus to be able to meet and greet and welcome new people as they come in. What Paul is saying is that if we work on this weakness of faith, we can then be more aggressive in our sharing of the gospel. Now, our church, we have been a church of unity, and, uh, and I'm a blessed pastor because I go to a lot of conferences, I go hear a lot of people talk, and they're sharing all kinds of stories that thankfully I cannot relate to. And we thank you for that unity. We want to maintain that 
to where we can continue to put our focus on reaching people for Christ, this community, and also reaching around the world. So there was that obstacle, but then there was this opportunity that Paul gave them. And the opportunity that he gave them is also found in verse 15, and that is that we're going to expand your world. We're going to expand your world. What he wanted them to do was to capture his vision and to see that they were bound up in that dynamic vision. In verse 15, you come back to where he says, our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you will expand. Now, that word influence, the word influence here, there's a definition for it in the Greek language. It means a rod for measuring. It means a measured area, a sphere of activity. In fact, in fact, what it meant is that, um, is that somebody would be plotting out a map, and as they plot out a map, they break it into certain portions to be able to assign that to you. So when it says your area of influence, it's a sphere of activity. And what Paul is saying to them is that, listen, you get strong in your faith, we're going to be able to expand this area of influence. From Paul's standpoint, he says, you're going to free me up so that I can continue to travel, travel westward. But he also said, what will happen is, is that you will expand our influence. So it's expanding the influence of Paul and expanding the influence of those that are the Corinthians, the believers that are there in that church at that time. So what that means is that when you lead, uh, is that when you begin to grow, there's all kind of influence that gets expanded. Let me give you an an illustration. Let's say that you're a teacher. And as a teacher, you're teaching all these students, but maybe there's a student that is really hungry to learn. And you have an opportunity to spend extra time and to mentor that student. And you pour your life into that student. And that student graduates from high school and goes off to college and continues on. And you continue a mentoring relationship with them. You're pouring into their life. You're helping give them direction for decisions they're trying to make. They leave college. They go into some type of either ministry or some type of work. And all of a sudden, they have got this incredible impact. And they're hitting a lick. They're touching so many lives. Well, guess what? That person's influence is expanding But that teacher's influence has just expanded because of the time invested by that teacher into that person, that teacher's influence expands. See, I would say whatever I do as a minister and whatever opportunities I have as your pastor and and whatever influence or lives that are being touched, it also expands the, the influence of Charles Carter because my predecessor was my mentor. He's the person that poured into me. And, and so it's like that as I'm going out over here and God says, oh, Danny, I'm able to use you in this area. Guess what? It's also enlarging the influence of Charles Carter because some of these things I wouldn't have been doing if I hadn't have had a man that took the time to pour into me. Does that make sense? And, and this is what Paul is saying. And he's saying, you know, I'm getting ready to expand your world and expand your influence. And once you build this thing of maturity in your Christian life, then we're getting ready to go out and you're going to not just reach that little group around you in Corinth, you're going to go even beyond Corinth. And it's going to expand your influence and it's going to expand the influence of Paul and those that are with him. So this is his vision, but then look how he closes it out. And that's his perspective. And the perspective is that God will get all the glory. Verses 17 and 18, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So he talks about all of this opportunity to go out and to reach more people. And it's not so that people can say, wow, that Corinthian church is really something. It's not for people to say, wow, Apostle Paul, that's the guy. He's the man. No, none of that. He says, It is because we boast in the Lord and we give God the honor and the glory. And he quotes a part of Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Now, I'm going to ask you, keep your finger here. I want you to turn all the way back to the Old Testament, to the book of Jeremiah. Now, I'm going to ask all of you to do this because after I read this verse, some of you may have never seen this verse before and you are going to say, this may be one of the most incredible verses I've ever read, okay? Uh, because, see, I had never seen it before. I'd never seen it before. And in the year 2000, 
as I was working through some things, I've been pastor here for about three and a half years. And I was just going through some, there were some difficult times and, and I'm trying to figure out next steps and everything for our church. And, and I'd have to look back and find out whether it was in a devotional guide or exactly where I saw this verse. But there are times in your life when a verse comes and it just hits you for a loop. And when I saw this verse, it just spoke to me volumes. He's talking in this passage about how the people are, are, are so self-sufficient and, and have turned away from God. And in verse 23, it says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Not, let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Don't boast about all these other things. Here's the thing that you really want to boast about, and that is that the God in heaven understands and knows me. If you want to boast about anything, is that we serve a God that understands and knows me. What I determined back in 2000 is that what I was doing is that I was working so hard for God that I wasn't spending time with God. And as I was working so hard to do these things for God, what God reminded me, he says, Danny, I don't need you doing the things for God. I need you to be with me. And then also when I read that, and realize that he knows me, understands me. He doesn't, under, he doesn't know me as the pastor of Shays Mountain Baptist Church. He doesn't know me as the husband to Janice Wood. He doesn't know me as the father of Lauren Wood. He knows me as Danny Wood, his child. And he knows me and he understands me. Wow. And that reality just nailed me. And it got me to a point to where I said, God, my emphasis is to spend more time with you. And then whatever comes along and whatever things that may be accomplished, all we need to do is boast in you and always keep that perspective. So as we go through all of this and we talk about vision and next move for, for our church, it's not to get Shades Mountain Baptist on the map or for us to run through the uh, convention or run through our community saying all these great things. No. We're just a tool of God. We just want to be used by him. And to know that he knows us and he understands us. And then you take that from Jeremiah and you bring it all the way back up to the New Testament. And the Bible says in that while we were yet sinners, he demonstrated his love for us and that Christ died for our sins. And that God demonstrated that incredible love for us by sending his own son to die on the cross for us. And to try to provide a bridge between us and God. Because all that sin and all that crud and all that stuff in our life had caused that separation from him. And Jesus goes to the cross and dies for us. And three days later, God raises him from the dead. Conquering sin and death and giving us that hope of eternal life. The perspective is, you continue to give God the glory. Now... You think about Paul's vision, all that he shared there. So how does that relate to us? How does that relate to Shades Mountain and to that, that vision statement, that mission statement that we shared? Well, quickly, let's just take a look at it. If you'll bring it back up. Sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. All right, look at the first word over here, sending. Sending. When you think about the word sending, what does that mean? Well, believe it or not, I spent a long time thinking in about that word sending. And I came up with my own definition, and this is my definition over here. It is sending, purposeful parting with a resource that you possess. Purposeful parting with a resource that you possess. I like this definition so much, I'm sending it to Wikipedia, hoping that they will put it into their dictionary. <laughs> nah, just messing with you. All right. Purposeful parting with a resource that you possess. I think about that. Whenever there's conflict, there's military conflict, what do we say? We're sending our troops in. When you send your troops in, it's a purposeful parting with the resource that you possess. We've trained these men and these women. There's a need out there. We're sending our troops in. It's purposeful. 
What happens when a neighbor is sick? And a neighbor is sick and you get word of it that the neighbor is sick and you just happen to be the one who has got a famous recipe for chicken noodle soup. And everybody knows, and anyone in our generation knows, that if you're ever sick, what do you eat? Chicken noodle soup. It didn't matter what it was. You know, I got a bad bruise, chicken noodle soup, it'll do the kick. No matter what you needed, it was chicken noodle soup. And so let's say you've got this famous recipe for chicken noodle soup, and you find out that a neighbor is sick, and they're all stopped up and feeling terrible, and you said, you need some chicken noodle soup. So guess what you do? You go and you get all the ingredients and take those ingredients and you put them together. And as you're putting them together into this soup, you're putting them together in this soup that you're making. And you realize that its purpose is not to stay in the kitchen. Its purpose is to go out to help someone else. From the moment you begin to put the ingredients together and you mix them together and you come up with the final product. Its whole purpose is to be sent out. It's sent out with a purpose. This is what our church is. Our church is to be a sending church. That's a purpose. And what do you mean by sending? And before you start clicking off and saying, oh, you can send everybody to the mission field. No, 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 not that, not that at all. Our church needs to be one that once a person joins, they need to know that their purpose is to be sent out. And that to be sent out means that when we wrap up this worship service and we finish here and let's say 11 o'clock you're getting out and you're getting ready to head to the parking lot, you are being sent out. You're being sent out to your neighborhood. You're being sent out to your place of business. You're being sent out to your ball team. You're being sent out to your civic organization. You're being sent out to the work environment You're being sent out to your friend base. You're being sent out to different places that you go. You are sent out. And you see, we can't sit and soak or hang out on the sideline. That's not the purpose of our church. The stakes are too high and the time is too short and we need to be aggressively sending. And so as we look at a mission statement for our church and it says sending transformed people, it's sending So every time you come in these doors and you sit down and you enjoy worship and fellowship and and you get, uh, get hopefully motivated and learn more about God, when you walk through these doors and outside, it is to be sending. And for some of you, that sending is to be sent across the street to your neighbors. For some, your sending may be over the mountain into downtown Birmingham to do ministry there. For some, your sending may be across the country. For some, your sending may be across the ocean. That's between you and God. What we want to know is that our purpose is sending. We are not stagnant. We are not sitting. We are not soaking. We are sending. We go out from here. We have to get aggressive. This is not a time for believers to hunker down and bunker, get in a bunker, get our little Christian bubbles over here and just hope that nothing from the outside begins to to interrupt this comfortable life that we have. No, that was never in the New Testament. And so we, as a New Testament church, we will be sending. And if we have that mindset, then we come in these doors, that as soon as I get out of here and I go into my, drive up into my driveway and I push that button to open up my garage door and I drive in over there and the garage door closes and I seal myself off from all my neighbors in the world, that somewhere in my mind, you'll remember, you know what our mission is? Sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. I am sent And I need to have my eyes open to the places that God is sending me. That's where we want to be. Paul said, I want to go where no man's gone before. We are to be sent. Keep that part of the vision. Second of all is the word transformed. We're sending transformed people. Transformed people. Now, let me give you a definition of the word transformed. This is God doing a radical reorientation in your life that begins deep within your heart. Transformation. Look at this keyword, radical reorientation. This is not just getting a um, perfect attendance medal for Sunday school attendance. We don't do that anymore, do we? Uh, can I just ask a question over here? I'll start with a choir. Everybody, did y'all ever get a perfect attendance medal? Anybody in the choir? Did you get Cruz Smith? Cruz got one. Anybody else? Anybody else get one of these perfect attendance medals over here? 
Raise your hand. Look at, we got some. Yes, we used to get those. I can't tell you how upset I got when I was a kid and I was sick and I couldn't go to church because, gosh, I don't get the medal, you know? 52 weeks. Hey, we need to be here as much as possible. But that's not what transformation is. Transformation is that radical reorientation that takes place in your life and it begins deep in your heart to where God begins to get a hold of your life. And we fall in love with Jesus and we begin to serve Jesus and we live for Jesus. There's that transformation that takes place. And in order for us to have an influence on our world, we need to be transformed people. Now, does that mean I've got to wait until transformation is complete? No, transformation is never complete. It's a process. We're always being transformed into the image of Christ, okay? We'll be a transformed believer. But as we begin that process, you make that decision for Christ. You are saved in Christ. Then you begin that discipleship journey, and he begins to change your life. Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to move in it and strengthen you and, and give you direction and purpose and, and strength to overcome temptation. All these things happen in your life. And as you're walking through that process, you are being sent out. I'm being sent out. We are transformed people. So what that does, that drives down the importance of discipleship. To know that we need to do a better job of getting all of us prepared to impact this culture. We all need to get a, do a better job. And so this is part of what we'll be looking at. Because we want to be transformed believers. But then you come to the last part of that. And the last part of that is to influence their world for Christ. To influence their world for Christ. Sending transformed people to influence their world for Christ. I looked up Webster's Dictionary for, for influence only because I thought they did better than I could come up. And uh, I like theirs. This is what influence means. It's an effect of one person on another. When you influence someone, you have an effect on someone. And it's also to move a person to some action. When people say, I was influenced to do this. Someone, because of what you said, because of what you shared, it influenced me. It moved me over here to a place of action. But it's an effect that one person can have on another. Now, the scary thing about the word influence is it is very easy for us to sit there and think, okay, influence with others. Well, I guess in order to have influence, I've got to be like, uh, I've got to be the star quarterback on the team. I've got to be the uh, captain of the basketball team. I've got to be an honor student. I've got to be a CEO. I've got to be the partner in the law firm. I've got to be the teacher of the year in order to get those things. Let me just tell you, if any of you fit that bill, that's incredible. Because you do have a big swath of influence. But let me just tell you, this word influence, <laughs> an effect of one person on another... Every one of us is an influencer. Every one of us. And it doesn't matter what your position is in life. We all are influencers. I want you to watch a short video of a man who was an influencer in our congregation. Many of you may say, I don't know if I really knew that guy. Some of you knew his name. But yet you didn't realize all that he had done. And there's a story we're going to tell you that is just one of many that you could tell about this man's life. He was not a CEO. He was not someone of prominence. He was a believer. He believed in Christ. And he believed in being an influence to others. Let's see his story. Last week, I preached at the funeral of one of my greatest friends. His name was Jesse Martin. And though he was 50 years older than me, he truly was one of my greatest friends. Our friendship began when I was around 16 years old. At that time in my life, I had kind of developed this interest in video editing and computers, and I was just learning the skill. Eventually, the camera that I had broke. And I was 16 years old, I had a job at Chick-fil-A, and I didn't have the money to fix a camera that was worth thousands of dollars. Um, this kind of went on for a couple weeks until my birthday rolled around. Sitting around the, the table celebrating my birthday with my family when there was a knock on the back door, and it was Mr. Jesse. He came into my house and he sat down with my family and he, he walked in carrying this big box wrapped in blue wrapping paper. And he sat it down in front of me at the table and he said, happy birthday. 
So I immediately borrowed my dad's pocket knife. I opened the top and, and I pulled out of this cardboard box a brand new Panasonic 100 DVXB. It was like top of the line video camera at the time. The crazy thing is that that moment is not the one that I remember most from that night. As he was leaving, he said, hey, I've got, I've got one more thing for you. And he, he took me out to his car and inside of his car, he had another box. And Mr. Jesse began to explain to me that he was giving me a second camera because he wanted me to experience what it was like to give generously. That he knew that at the time I was working with one of my best friends, Ethan Milner, and he was just learning how to edit video and he had a dream to be a film director and that, that what he was giving me was an opportunity to give generously into somebody else's life. Left uh, Miller Chapel at the time, walked out to the parking lot, and I see Kevin sitting by, the, by his car. I walked over and he opened the door to his, his trunk and in it was a large box with blue wrapping paper. You have to understand, 16-year-old me, obsessed with movies, obsessed with wanting to be a movie director, had no access, had no ability to even have a camera in the first place. It took probably two and a half more years to finally learn how that all happened. And I heard the name Jesse Martin. And the awesome thing about Mr. Jesse and the reason that we became such close friends was not because he gave us expensive gifts, but it was because he began on that day an investment in us that never stopped. Kevin and I would come back into, into town, into Birmingham, and he would always take us to, to dinner and ask, how's it going? How's the work going? It's really incredible to think about what he started with those two cameras. They helped continue to develop in me a heart to tell the story of the gospel of Jesus. And he was able to set Ethan up on a path that he's still on today, that he's working at this church, telling the story of the gospel of Jesus through film. And the very simple truth is that Mr. Jesse was so generous because he was serving a generous God. That he really believed the story of Jesus was true. That God would be so generous as to give himself up for a sinful people simply because he loved us. And Mr. Jesse never got over that love. It's a great story, isn't it? It is influence, it is influence. In trying to define this word influence uh, that was found in 2 Corinthians, uh, a number of people have come up with different ones, but the best one that I found uh, was uh, one of my favorite commentators, a man by the name of G. Campbell Morgan, and this is what he came up with. He said, influence is sphere appointed by God, sphere appointed by God. What influence is, is your sphere that's appointed by God. Do you get a new job? If you got a new job, that's your new sphere that's appointed by God. Do you get a promotion? Do you get more responsibility? That's your sphere appointed by God. What if you're in between jobs? Maybe you lost a job and you're looking for a job and you're right here in this middle ground. What happens there? That's your sphere appointed by God. And you will have people cross your paths who will be walking some of those same paths. How will you be an influence to them? Did you just get married? That's a sphere appointed by God. Did God just bless you with a child? That's your sphere appointed by God. How about illness? Maybe you're struggling with some illnesses and all of a sudden you find yourself in a hospital or so. That is your sphere appointed by God. And I'm just going to call, I was talking to you early, Keith Hines. This guy's gone through so much illness, through so many times. And every time he goes to a hospital, he understands this is my sphere appointed by God. And he ministers to the people right where he is. That's what influence is. It's your sphere appointed by God. And what our goal is to send transformed people to influence their world for Christ. Be an influencer. It's the sphere appointed by God, and you've got them wherever you are. You move to a new house, it's your neighbors. You move to a new city, it's your neighbors and the people you work with. Think about it. We all have a sphere of activity, and when we have that sphere of activity, it is where it is appointed. 
by God. What would happen if our church got so serious about this that we had a sending mindset, we were willing to have a radical reorientation of our lives to be strong disciples for Christ, and then that we would look in our sphere of activity knowing that God appointed for me to be here at this time and I use it to influence others with the gospel. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to call call you at this time. You don't have to if you don't want to come. But I would love for some people to just come down front and to stand or kneel here and I want to pray. I'm not asking you to, this isn't you, you're making a commitment of going on mission. But I want to have a prayer for our church as we continue through this process to know exactly what the strategy is that God has for us. And that as we come forward here and we either stand here or kneel here, we say, God, we want to be a people that will be sent out. We want to be a people who will be transformed. We want to be a people who will influence our world for Christ. I'm giving you just about uh, 15 seconds right now. If somebody wants to come up here, just stand up where you are. Just come right over here. I just want you to stand right across over here. Uh, stand or kneel. And, um, and if you stay in the pew, you can pray in the pew. There's nothing magical about this. I just feel it's great to have these men. I appreciate these men and women to come. And, and let's just pray that we would be serious as a church and as individuals to take on the next great chapter that God has got for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we've heard the challenge We know our culture. We know the gospel. We want to be serious about this, Lord. We don't want to ever just be a Sunday meeting place that's fun to come to and catch up with old friends. But we want to be a place where it is fun and where we do get to catch up, but we understand what our purpose is. And that we want to have a radical reorientation of our lives. And that, Lord, you would speak to us and begin to prepare us. So that when that strategy comes and it's very clear what that next step is. That we don't have to run to catch up. But that we as a people will be so ready that we are on go. And that when the final words come to say, we believe this is where God is directing us. That we don't need a startup time. It's just like shooting the pistol and let's go. The race has begun. And so for each one of us as here and those sitting in the pews as we we make this prayer, Father, we pray that you will make us prepared and ready. But then, Lord, help us not wait till 2017. Let us already discover where our areas of influences are. And may we be a people that's already reaching out. And may even next Sunday be different because we see things differently. And just continue to see that build. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your call. And may we all say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I want you to head back to your seats. As they begin to head back to their seats, it's not by accident that this Sunday we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. You know, Jesus sends us out. And what Jesus did is that after his resurrection and he met with his disciples, whenever you see in Scripture, he's constantly saying, I'm sending you out. Then he gives us the great commission, I'm sending you out. Well, the reason he's sending us out is because of what he did on the cross And because of the empty tomb. And I think the best depiction of that is found in the Lord's Supper. As to when he met with his disciples on that Passover meal on that Thursday night. And they had absolutely no idea what he was getting ready to say to them. He didn't give them a preview of it. Oh, he had been talking for the last three years that he was going to have to die. And in three days be raised from the dead. But they didn't really pick up on it. But on that night... As he's talking to them, just hours following the meal, he would be arrested. And he had been beaten. And then hours later, he would be crucified on a cross. 
and they would see the man that they had followed for these three years give up his life and still be in confusion until three days later when he was, had been risen, when he rose from the dead. And when Jesus rose from the dead, whoa, then it made sense. And then he sent them out. And so we do this, and we do this in a time of remembrance. And so as we get ready to partake in the Lord's Supper, uh, I'm going to ask for uh, those who are going to help us, if you'll go on and prepare the elements and uh, come and be in your position. And let me just talk to you as a congregation. We have what we call an open communion. And that means that anyone who's ever made a decision for Christ, you can be a part of this. And in just a moment, uh, we will take and we'll pass the elements. And we pass the elements. And and you've made a decision for Christ. You may be a member of the church. You may not be a member. We want you to partake in this. But now there are others of you that say, Danny, I'm I'm really not a believer. I've come. I just kind of came here this Sunday. and, And I'm not a believer. Listen. When they pass the tray, if you'll just go on and pass it down, and you don't need to partake of it, but listen to what we talk about, and listen to what Jesus has done for you. And my hope is that through this, that you too would come to that point where you say, I want to have that same relationship with the Son of God. And so I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And as soon as I say amen, when they pass the, the trays, take one element, hold on to it, and I will, give you, uh, I will give you some instructions for how we partake. Let me pray. Father, at this moment, when we have these moments where everything just settles down, may your Holy Spirit be a searchlight in our hearts. Point out the things in our lives that are not pleasing to you. Things that we know that we are holding on to rather than releasing to you. And we pray there'd be a time of confession and a time of repentance and that our lives will be totally clean before you. And then as we go through this time of taking the elements, there'll be a time of both conviction and thanksgiving for what Jesus has done for us. For it is in his powerful name we pray. Amen. says that on that night uh, at the Passover, Jesus took the bread there and he broke the bread uh, and he said, this represents my body, which is broken for you. Scripture teaches that um, as they continued through the meal and as they were getting close to the end of the meal, uh, he took the cup. When he took the cup, he says, this cup represents my blood which will be shed for you and it is the blood of a new covenant a new agreement between God and man representing the fact that as Jesus shed his blood that was the blood that was to cover our sins that was the one sacrifice that would be needed the perfect sacrifice and thus no other sacrifices would be needed and he said whenever you take of this cup you do this in remembrance of me